Welcome to the How to Be Awesome at Your Job podcast, the show where brilliant professionals share how to sharpen the universal skills required to flourish at work. Enjoy more career fun, wins, meaning, and money with your host, Pete Mikaitis. Hello, and thanks so much for joining us here for episode 544 with Richard Metcalf. Richard is sharing how you can be more influential in this world full of digital distraction and noise, how the game is a smidge different these days and how to play it well. So you'll learn one, the language that gets people to listen to you, two, the two ways of effectively relating with anyone, and three, a quick trick to exude charisma and confidence. So if you want to check out the show notes or the transcript or the links to items we've referenced, it's over at awesomeatyourjob.com slash ep544. Now here's Richard's story. Richard Metcalf has advised exceptional founders and senior executives in complex, fast-moving industries for over 20 years. After earning a first-class degree at Oxford University, Richard became the youngest ever partner at tech sector strategy consultancy Analysis Mason. He then moved to tech giant Cisco, where he held various senior positions for over 11 years, most notably being handpicked for an elite team set up by Cisco's CEO to lead new board-level business initiatives. Believing that there's no business transformation without personal transformation, Richard founded X-Quadrant to work at the intersection of leadership, strategy, and purpose to help digital age leaders create extraordinary positive impact. So huge thanks to Richard for taking some time to chat with us and a huge thanks to our sponsors. Check them out. And big thanks to our sponsor, Acorns. Acorns makes it easy to start automatically saving and investing for your future. You don't need a lot of money or expertise to invest with Acorns. In fact, you can get started with just your spare change. Acorns recommends an expert-built portfolio that fits you and your money goals, then automatically invests your money for you. NerdWallet.com, whom I love on these sorts of matters, gives Acorns a whopping 4.7 stars and says, quote, if you want to make the most of your spare change, there's no better place to do that than Acorns. Head to acorns.com slash awesome or download the acorns app to start saving and investing for your future today and we got a legal disclaimer here it may not be representative of all clients tier one compensation provided compensation provides an incentive to positively promote acorns view important disclosures at acorns.com awesome investing involves risk including the loss of principal please consider your objectives risk tolerance and acorns as fees before investing acorns advisors llc acorns is an sec registered investment advisor brokerage services are provided to clients of acorns by acorn securities llc member at finra slash sipc for more information visit acorns.com now, here's Richard. Richard, thanks so much for joining us here on the How to Be Awesome at Your Job podcast. Hi, Pete. Fantastic to be here. Thanks for inviting me. Oh, yes. Well, I'm excited to have you, and I really appreciate you staying up extra late in France <laughs> to be having this conversation with us. No, that's great. It's 11 p.m. here, but um, I'm energized and ready to go, so let's do this. Yeah. Well, I see it, and I'm excited. Well, I wanted to kick it off. You have a very impressive bio, but at the same time, you also discuss vulnerability in some of your work. So I want to put you on the spot and ask for uh, you to publicly admit something that you're terrible at. I'll start just to break the ice. And that is, uh, I'm not good at drawing three-dimensional shapes. <laughs> I had a new product design class and that was actually a reasonable part of it. And um, I didn't do so well. And it was, it was so embarrassing. They're like, what is wrong with you? So now the world knows that. But meanwhile, I look at your bio and it's like, man, this guy looks like he's amazing at everything he touches, but no. that's never quite true. And it's no, always comforting. No. So lay it on us. No, I, yeah, I can give you that. I mean, well, I think my kids would say that I'm just bad at animals. Like any animal comes near me, I'm jumping around, 
freaking out oh really bad like when my daughter was one we went to australia to see some family there and she stroked like a baby kangaroo or something and i'm like okay richard come on you're 40 whatever it is years old go and stroke uh-huh. that damn kangaroo so that's probably the, the funny one and then probably you know i think i come from a long line of people in my family who are just not particularly good at sports so that's always been mm-hmm. like you know I was always like the last to be chosen in in school teams and all that kind of stuff so um I think I had a school report that said um Richard tries hard at a subject to which he is not naturally gifted <laughs> that's the kindest possible way that they could articulate that I I likewise didn't do well in most sports I was, I was good at swimming weightlifting depending on the lift but anyway now we know. Thank you. You're on the record. But uh, I want to mostly talk about influence today, that it's one of your mm. areas of expertise. And so let's dig in. And maybe if you could tee this up for us with a compelling story that captures just the what's at stake when it comes to professionals being influential or just what is possible when a typical professional upgrades their influence game. Yeah, absolutely. Well, perhaps I'll go into my story a little bit. Um and again, be a bit vulnerable about times when I actually didn't feel I had the influence I needed. So um, my story in a nutshell is, you know, I studied at Oxford University. I got like a, you know, top grade there, went into consulting, um, strategy consulting, became a partner very fast in that. Um, I think it was just a lucky fit. I happened to be good at that. You know, it's a bit of a random choice, but it worked well. Um, and then I moved into Cisco. Um, so obviously massive global company much smaller fish in a in, in a bigger pond and i think i didn't ma- manage that transition actually particularly well it took me a while because i had a lot of expertise to bring but i hadn't quite understood quite how much you needed to work that broader organization to really have an impact mm. and so i think you know if i look back and i'm honest i think i kind of got a bit pigeonholed into that expert role for a while um, they're quite high profile projects. They were quite, um, you know, having a certain impact, but I kind of knew that there was more that I should have been doing and there was more of me that I wasn't bringing to the table. Mm-hmm. And so I think there was this gap where I was kind of trying to struggle to like, how do I actually uh, do this? And say so nothing was bad, but I just knew that there were others perhaps who had made a much better transition in and were, I was seeing, I was like a bit envious. Um, so I started to kind of dig into this and think about it and a bit of self-reflection. And I started to realize actually, as is often the case, that a lot of these answers are actually under our nose, right? But we have to kind of do the thinking and do the searching and come back to it and say, well, what have I really got to offer uh, and to whom and a number of other things. And you know, the net net of that was my last role in Cisco before I then left and set up my, my own company, X Quadrant, was actually part of a small group set up by the CEO and global head of sales of Cisco to really have influence, to really catalyze uh, strategic partnerships between Cisco and some of its large customers and partners. And so that was a role where it wasn't a hierarchical power role, right? It was very much about how do we actually get people who are not under my direct control, not even in my own company, Mm-hmm. to perhaps collaborate in ways that they weren't used to. And so that for me was really where uh, I got, that whole journey was where I got passionate about this idea of, you know, how do we all take our impact up a game, uh, up a notch, you know, play a bigger ge- game. And um, 
and channel our natural skills in the best possible way, right, to have the impact that we want. Mm-hmm. Certainly. Also, yeah, that is a pretty cool transformation from, okay, you're kind of hanging out and, you know, treading water for a little while in the career because of not having those influence skills. And then you're selected for a role that is just uh, chock full of these influencing type activities and requirements. So that's pretty cool. So it seems like you learned a thing or two to get that role and to flourish within that role. So can you lay it on us? What are some of the foundational principles that to make a professional influential? Yeah, well, let me give you a few of the models that I've been using and have, I found really helpful. But perhaps just go back a second and just to realize that the context that we're in, whether we're a leader or whether we're an individual contributor, yeah, the whole world has shifted, as we know, with digital technology and everything else. And so there are these, it's a bit of a unique, unique context, right, for making things happen. As I said before, most of us are actually in roles where we can't just tell our subordinates what to do and mm-hmm. get everything done, right? Almost every role, even if you have got a big team, is going to involve influencing across those boundaries. Um, but there are some traps that, that I see. So the first one is this always-on culture, right? Everyone's always connected. There's always things going on. I call it managing infinity mm, because there's yeah. an infinity of people to speak to, movies to watch, books to read, emails to address, tasks to do, right? It's never finished. It's always on. But we often find ourselves neither really productive at, or neither really present, or, and more to the point, we, we often do the wrong thing at the wrong time. So we're trying to be productive when we should be present with people and we're, and we're perhaps um, getting distracted when we should be being productive. So you know, we've all been in that situation where, you know, it's a social event and somebody's on their phone doing emails and it's just not mm-hmm. the right time and they undermine their influence. Or if you're in a meeting and the boss is like on his phone and not, not, not listening to your presentation, right? He actually undermines his or her influence at that point with you. Mm-hmm. You think, well, what's going on, right? I've done all this work, what's going on? And so the first thing is to be re- to realize that always on actually has, all, has a bit of a trap, right? Because if we're not in the right mode at the right time, people kind of, we don't, we don't see it, we see it in others. Oh, certainly, yeah. And that undermines it. And I think the other one that I would speak to is, is the virtual world in other words we have distributed teams and a lot of times we get onto conference calls for a lot of our work and the issue is that you it can become very transactional Mm -hmm. at that point right you you know we all know that example anyone who's been in a distributed team where there's a conference call people get on there's a bit of an awkward silence perhaps there's the odd comment here and there the odd you know the odd bit of banter but it's pretty quiet people are doing their emails tapping away People are joining, it's a bit awkward, and then suddenly, okay, let's go. Right. Right. And we start. And so if you imagine in the real world, if you like, if you're all in the same office, those five minutes would be spent finding out about each other's weekend, the family, mm-hmm. what's going on, you know, look you look a bit tired, stressed, or, you know, and so forth. And so and so relationships can get very transactional mm-hmm. uh, because of the digital culture. And I think that is actually something if you are working in a in a distributed team that you need to be careful about um, because transaction is not is the opposite of influence really, right? Yeah. Well, so I'm intrigued then. I think some people worry they might lose influence if they are not responsive and fast mm. enough in replying to whether it's Slack or email or whatnot. So how do you think about if it's a trade-off or 
It's just a matter of, well, hey, you schedule time to do both and then you engage appropriately based on what you're doing. Like is, I guess this will vary organization by organization and, you know, request by request, but how fast you got to respond to maintain influence? I think that there's a lot of fear around this topic, right? Fear of missing out, fear of not being seen. And as ever, it's, it's always the other side of the fear that you're actually getting to a safer place, in my view, in a more secure place. And so think of people that you really admire and respect. They're not always that easy to get in touch with, right? They're, <laughs> you know, they're, 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 you know, the people who are available at the drop of a hat, your esteem of them doesn't necessarily go zooming up just because they're super responsive. They're super responsive. It's useful. It's nice. Yeah, that's an excellent distinction. Yes, I appreciate it. That's cool of them. It's convenient. My esteem doesn't go up. It's like that is a true professional rock star person of influence I respect. It's just like, oh, I appreciate that. Thanks. You know? Yeah, exa exactly. And so I think there's a time in, in my um, consulting career where I was, I think I pretty much get my, I got a promotion delayed by about six months because I mm -hmm. took on too many projects because they're all really high profile projects. And I thought this is a fantastic opportunity, but I took on like all three of them. Yeah. Frankly, if I'd done one of them really, really well. I'd have been promoted. Right. And as it was, I did three of them okay, but I didn't knock the ball up the park. It was fine. It was okay. Right. The project, the client was happy. It all got signed off. But uh, I think less can be more, and we forget that, and we think more is more, and it's not. It's where people notice, they don't actually notice the quantity so much as the quality, right? Mm -hmm. So, and even if you're in a job like sales where you got to get through, it's actually, you know, well, who are those 20% of clients that are really going to make the 80% of your revenues, right? Sure. Um, and yeah, so I, I kind of try to force myself as well to put them, those barriers in place and to realize that we're often playing this game with ourselves in our mind about having to jump in. But it's when you're always trying to be super responsive, you don't create the space for the deep work mm -hmm. that actually sets you apart. In, in Cisco, one of the things I did do to increase my influence was I, I remember I actually carved out once, it was a, literally just one day where I took some work I had done and turned it into a piece of thought leadership, like really said, okay, what have I learned? What is cutting edge here? Mm -hmm. And I developed this uh, little model and, 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 and some material with it. And I remembered about 3 p.m. on that day, I was like, what am I doing wasting my day writing this stuff? You know, I was like, writer's block and all the rest of it, trying to mm -hmm. do this stuff. And that day I spent at the time, I was like, wow, you know, was that just a waste of time? But no, because suddenly I'd created something that was valuable, that was unique, and that people had not seen, and people had not seen it before. And suddenly it was in demand, customers were wanting to see it. I was flown in here and there to deliver this. So it was this investment of one day where I was not being responsive right. had much more impact than if I'd just been doing my emails all day. And we know that. I love it. Yeah. It's very tactical, practical, tangible, and real. I love it in terms of... If we really look back, we can probably, <laughs> we could probably think, you know, there, there were a couple deliverables that changed everything yeah. and they weren't made <laughs> with the email box open on the side with being interrupted every 10 minutes. Yeah. So I, I say this often when I'm working with executives, I work a lot with you know, senior executives uh, in a kind of coaching capacity. And I was, you know, one thing I'll say is like, let's just slow down because often we advance in the first part of our career by sheer churning things out, right? But we get to a stage where it's like, okay, just stop a second. What's the one phone call that's going to make all the difference right mm -hmm. now? What's the one partnership to form, right? What's the uh, one thing you need to ship? You know, the one 
uh, conversation you need to have, whatever it is, right? It's really slowing it down to think, what is that number one lever yeah. that's going to have the most impact? And I think when you do that, then you differentiate yourself and, and people's estimation of you rises. Mm-hmm. I think that's excellent. So, okay, cool. Well, then you mentioned there's some traps and we covered a couple. Are there more? Well, I'd say, I mean, there's a number of traps. I think the other one is around noise, I suppose. We'll just go to that one. So just the sheer volume of content and information coming our way. Mm-hmm. Um, so when we want to create influence, this doesn't matter because what we say can easily get lost in the mass of everything going on, that infinity I talked about. So one of the things that I, I do, and I actually have a saying, uh, and my saying is, do you have a saying? Right. Okay. <laughs> so, um, so you'll, you'll see what I just did there. So what I did was, the point is, when you actually say, I have a saying, mm-hmm. you actually put a context around what you're about to say next, and it becomes a thing. Yeah. Right? So mm-hmm. if I say to you, I've got a saying, slow down to speed up. Mm-hmm. Right? It's a good saying, right? But it has more impact than if I just say, slow down, speak up in the middle of a sentence that I'm rattling through. That's true. There's just a natural... The receiver of that message naturally thinks, as I do, it's like, well, what is it, Richard? <laughs> it's yeah. like, I'm listening. <laughs> Bring it on. And having a saying is important because language, we adopt language really um, powerfully. It's a natural human instinct, mm-hmm. right? I say language creates culture. So if you want to change a culture in a team uh, or in your family, then think of the words that you use because it's what we celebrate, it's how we relate. And so as you kind of introduce words and you use phrases, that does have have a big impact. Um, The idea of saying it as a phrase, as a saying, is about context. So I always say you should never really have content without context. Mm -hmm. So the context is a frame around the content. So if I'm going to say, hey, Pete, I've got something that's really important for you to hear right now, and it's going to change your life, mm-hmm. then you're suddenly ready for it. You know what I mean? Whereas right. if I just said it, you wouldn't perhaps have appreciated the fact that I really believe this was something yeah. important for you. And so, uh, same you know, if you're talking to your boss, right, there might be a whole load, of, it might be one important issue you really want to raise and a load of tactical issues that you do every week with them. Mm-hmm. So you might want to say, um, hey, today... There's you know three or four things that we need to wrestle through as normal, but there's also one big topic that I that I think is is really going to be important for how we work mm. together in the coming year. So suddenly they're they're kind of mentally getting ready for that, yeah, and they're kind of more ready to receive it. Where if you suddenly just launch in with whatever it is you want to say, yeah, that is so powerful. They're not mentally prepared. And you said a couple of things that both reminded me of Robert Cialdini's book Persuasion, which mm. is outstanding, and. Um, in terms of language and how that shapes things, he tells a story about how he did a presentation for a health, um, if it was a hospital or it was health oriented. And they, in the presentations, they're not allowed to call them bullet points. It's like, well, bullets are weapons that harm people. So mm. we don't use those words here. And at first he thought that's kind of ridiculous, but they say, oh, I, actually, this really <laughs> does shape things in terms of the culture. And then the context creating content or shaping, or how did you say it? You don't want content without context. Yeah, I say it frames, yeah, context frames the content. It frames. And I guess it, I'm thinking it, it amplifies, you know, it um, mm. in terms of, it makes all the difference in terms of like, what should I be paying attention to? And I think this is all connecting in terms of, yes, in this digital, noisy, always on and managing infinity world, that becomes extra important to know. It's like, um, you know, I'm looking at this here and it matters. So maybe. I would love it if you could just give us some more of your favorite content phrases. 
So one is, I have a saying. <laughs> the other one is, hey, like the really important thing is this. What are some other just um, tried and true winners? I mean, I think a lot of them, to be honest, are, are kind of quite natural and will depend on the people, right? So what I mean by that is I think um, you create context you know, whenever you whenever you just create that sense of anticipation, right? Um, yes. So, hey, um, you know, it's as simple as, hey, we've got something important to tell you, right? That's just, mm-hmm. we say that all the time, we'll say things like that all the time to people. Yeah. Um, that already sets up a, con- a context. Um, uh, so as a leader, one of the things you're trying to do actually is instill the way you think in other people, not to make everyone robots, right? But to help them mm-hmm. kind of make the decisions that, you need them to make rather than making all those decisions yourself. And so, uh, for example, I was working with a leader of a, um, a global kind of industrial process engineering company. So they were developing chemical products and various things. And so um, safety is very important. So, we were, and he was complaining that his team were not, were not autonomous and were coming to him for all sorts of decisions. So I was like, well, how do you make decisions? right? So he talked about it. And it came down to, he looks at the business impact of the decision, and he looks at the safety impact. Mm-hmm. And those two things are so important, because this stuff is so dangerous that, you know, they've got to be both up there equally. So those are the basic questions. So I said, well, when somebody comes to you with a question, why don't you say to them, hey, well, first of all, you will tell them, well, you know, if I, these are my criteria. But when they come to you with a question, say, well, you know what I'm going to say now, don't you? Uh-huh. Right. So again, it's like a bit of context. You know what I'm going to say now? Oh, yeah, you're going to say, what's the business impact and what's the safety impact? You got it. Mm. So please answer the question for me. And so that's another one. Right. Uh, slightly different framing of content because, you, first of all, you know, you, you would have to deliver the content. So you say, hey, um, yeah, this is the way I would think about it, safety and, and you know, and or, again, I'd probably say, I, um, I have a rule of thumb. Again, you're kind of phrasing it. I have a rule of thumb or, you know, um, mm-hmm. uh, or I have a, how could you put it? Mantra. Dogma. Yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah, I have a mantra or a guideline. Yeah, I have a guide. You know, I, you know, I always look at the two big factors, right? Commandment. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Anything like that. So you, you come with something like, yeah, exactly. So yeah, I have my mantra. You know, it has to be positive on the business and positive for safety. So you say that to them, and then afterwards, when they come to you, you can then refer to that, um, and and you start to embed that way of thinking about the world. So mm-hmm. I think that's just another way of doing it. Um, but it can just be as simple as starting the meeting by saying, or starting a conversation by really just explaining the relevance of what you're going to say to somebody. So if you want to have right. influence, you need them to prick their ears up, right? So you want them to say, look, we've come up with a project proposal that we think is probably one of the most significant things that we can do this year, mm-hmm. right? Um, and as well, we think we've really mitigated the risks. Yeah. You know, right. But suddenly your boss is going to be interested in that, right? Whereas mm-hmm. if you just launch straight in, right, they might be checking their emails still. Mm-hmm. You know, Richard, my next question will forever transform the way every listener thinks about influence forever. Yeah, see, I'm practicing. There we go. I don't know if I can deliver. I was just practicing setting up some context. But I, I guess I am curious. So then these are really great tools. And so we're talking in this context of technology. Can you share, are there some uh, you know, rules or guidelines or principles about influence that used to be true, but now are, are not so much true? You know, like, hey, stop doing this, you know, given uh, how we're living today. It's a great question. My instinctive reply 
to that is I think that it's back to less is more, right? It's back to uh, everyone has less attention, you know, lower attention spans, more solicitation. And so we need to make our interactions count. Yeah. I think even more. So it's not that it's totally changed, but I just think that the stakes have risen on that mm-hmm. because people don't have time to you know, listen to all of our stuff, right? That we might oh, want sure. to tell them often. So I, I'd say it's more that it's just dialed up those things. I mean, we've always, it's always been a good idea, right? To be mm-hmm. succinct and to say things um, and to have a high quality when you when you open your mouth. But I think it's probably gone up. The um, I have a little model which I think worked in the past, but definitely works now. And I think could be helpful. Um, mm-hmm. People certainly work with me and I can give you a, 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 an example of this in a second of this working out in practice but it's really this idea that there's i'd say there's two levels of relationship and influence there's the kind of transactional level which is kind of about basic transactional trust which is important to establish and then the second level is a deeper level of relational influence Mm -hmm. where you're really seen as a trusted mentor or ally or somebody who's really able to speak into your life so on the transactional le- level, you might have heard something similar. There's various models around. It's really, there's four Cs. Okay, so pretty simple. So there's competency, mm-hmm. chemistry, character, and criticality. Okay, so um, I'll start with character. So character is literally just like, do I believe that you're somebody with integrity? Mm-hmm. Who's not going to stab me in the back? Who's basically, you know, a good person, right? Right. It's, it's like, you know, are we going to be able to work together with with some degree of trust? Um Chemistry is, well, are we going to basically enjoy working together enough, right, for it actually not to be a horrible experience? Um, competency is, yeah, do you look like somebody who can actually do this job, right? Are you actually going to do the work and, and get it done? Um, and I, around that one is often this question of confidence, right? So are you confident in your own competency? Mm-hmm. Often often there's a, there's a whole load, load of people who are actually extremely competent, but they actually because the, the, the traffic light goes red um, when other people think of them because they're just not confident enough in their skills. So that can be a real uh, Achilles heel for them. Right. And there's some who are overconfident in their skills and they say things so assertively like, oh, okay. And they're like, wow, you were so wrong. I, I, I'm surprised based on how emphatically you said that. And then well, I think that diminishes influence in a hurry. It's like, hmm, yeah, just because that guy seems really forceful and convinced doesn't mean it's true yeah from experience has taught me yeah yeah so these traffic lights you know i can imagine these four c's with the traffic lights and sometimes they all go green at the start of you know some people a rare number like when you meet them they all go green the question is can those people deliver and the issue is often Mm -hmm. they can those people are great at winning you over but then the delivery doesn't quite match the elevated expectations so and the fourth one is criticality and the criticality for me is is really essential. It's about relevance. It's can you combine all this skill and, and character and everything else you've got and solve one of my top problems, right? Actually do something mm. meaningful. So you, you've got the skill, but is it what I really need right now? Or is yeah. this a conversation for another day? Mm-hmm. And so here's the thing. So in order to really get that good level of working together, you need like green on all of those. Okay. Yeah. You know, character, chemistry, competency, and criticality. The Funny thing, though, is that we all naturally focus on two to start with. We want all, we need to unlock all four, but we often look for two to start with. And once they're validated, we move on to the other two. 
but we also project the same to ourselves, to other people. Mm-hmm. So, for example, I know that for me, um, whether it's I don't know whether it was by birth or by training, you know, in consulting, you know, during my career, competency and criticality are, are really important. I'm always like, okay, you know, how am I going to show add my value, show that I know my stuff, show that I can speak into the situation right now. Okay, mm-hmm. um, and then once, so I, I'm kind of proje- I tend to probably project that to other people the first things uh, and I'm also looking for it from them are these, are these other people are they relevant to my strategic plans uh, are they competent are they you know the people I'm working with once I have that I'll then switch into okay and as a person are they the right fit the right feel mm-hmm. right other people will start the other way right first of all they'll want to build that relationship that feeling yeah oh yeah this person I can I get them they're trustworthy they're really nice Oh, yeah, they're great people. And now it's like, okay, now actually, can they do this job or this task that I have in mind? And they'll kind of work the other way around. So they'll, go, they'll, start, they'll start more on the relational side. And so, of course, what happens is that when somebody who's more task-focused and somebody who's more relational-focused meet up, they're kind of projecting the wrong signals for each other. <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, and it's so funny. I'm often task-focused when I'm evaluating. But I mean, early stages of evaluating, like, am I going to buy something? like sign up for a service or whatnot. Mm-hmm. And so I think it's funny because, you know, a lot of salespeople have been trained, hey, you got to build that rapport and that relationship. And so and I'm just thinking, I already have my criteria. You have to check five boxes for mm-hmm. us to continue this conversation. You're like, yeah, so where'd you grow up? It's like, I don't want to talk about that now. <laughs> Maybe we'll discuss that if we end up having a longstanding business relationship. Uh, what I need to know from you is A, B, C, D, E, F. So yeah, that mismatch is annoying. <laughs> so they're losing influence in that moment, right? Because what's happening is they're not picking yeah. up that you're looking for the, you know, you're actually very task focused in that moment. Yeah. Um, some people are like, probably like, I need a sales advisor and is this person trustworthy? And are they, you know, do I want to talk to this person? And so mm-hmm. it's about reading. So actually when I work with sales teams, it's not so much about understanding your own personality, although you've got to be aware of your tendencies. It's actually about, can you read the person opposite and what are they looking for, right? What mode are they in? Are they are they trying to relate at this moment or are they trying to get down to business? Yeah. And you do need both. Well, that's great to identify. Just having that frame of mind. Hey, is it more A, more B? You know, to, as you're kind of assessing things is great. And then what are some of the telltale signs and indicators? Oh, this person's in business mode. Okay. Uh, versus, oh, this person's in relate mode. I think you can pretty much detect, right? I mean, I think it's... Yeah, it's kind of leaning forward versus leaning back, effectively, right? Are we leaning forward, getting down? You know, is it like, okay, boom, are we, you know, starting to talk about that? Or is the first opposite actually not so pressed for time? It's, you know, they're, they're kind of more just interested in you. They, they haven't got quite to the topic yet. They're perhaps, you know, even just on their face, right? If they're kind of smiley, they're probably a bit more in relational mode. Uh-huh. And if they're kind of a bit more serious, sure. they're more in, they're processing stuff and they want to get, you know, they're trying to... Pres- Totally on their on their role and the uh, I'm thinking about how I relate to my nanny <laughs> right now. I mean, I'm often in task mode because it's like uh, I gotta get this day started. I've been with the kids this morning and it's been fun, uh, but now you know the time is coming, <laughs> the things to do. Yeah. And so I was like, you know, I just changed their diaper and they woke up at this time <laughs> and welcome. <laughs> and yeah, um, and especially when you're working from home. Yeah. But then every once in a while, it's sort of like the exception is like, oh, yeah, how's it going? How's your weekend? And I, I think that could be an indicator right there in terms of how is your weekend? 
If they say, oh, it's fine. We fixed our furnace. It's like, okay, that's a quick fact. As opposed yeah. to, oh, it was just had the loveliest time. You know, <laughs> my, my mom came into town and she brought this delicious chili. Uh, <laughs> and I guess at the same time, like, uh, and then sometimes, um, I guess there's a whole continuum as well. Like some people maybe kind of overshare. It's like, oh, I was just kind of being polite. I didn't expect this level of detail about your what you ate and <laughs> for each meal over the course of your weekend. So yeah, you got my wheels turning. Yeah, so match and lead in those situations, right? So matching is, Certainly. you know, if they're doing relational, be relational. But then if you don't want to stay there, then you can then move the subject on. Certainly. And I've heard that before. Well, it's like, oh boy, you know, I could talk about chili for <laughs> a couple hours. But Richard, I really want to make sure that we figure out the key principles of influence. So that's good. Yeah, so this is, you're talking here about environment as well, right? So um, about presence and productivity. It's really about what environment are we going into and what's appropriate. You know, so for example, you know, if you're going into a basically some sort of social setting, it might be a business social setting, right? It might be a lunch break or whatever, but and everyone's kind of chatting about social stuff or they're networking or whatever they're mm-hmm. doing. And suddenly you walk up to your colleague and you start giving them all, you know, oh, we've got to do a catch up on the project and A, B and C, right? <laughs> uh-huh. Just like, you're not in, you're not, what, what are you doing that for, right? I mean, look around you, you know, it, it's not the right moment. Yeah. And that can create that awkward stuff, but we do it all the time, right? You know, we get off the phone, we walk into the house, we're on the phone, mm-hmm. um, our family happy to see us and we're like still in task mode and we're not present. Yeah. Or you have either boss who has, um, uh, you know, who has an open door policy. I tend to say if you're a leader, don't have an open door policy. Be very intentional about when do you need to do your focused work? Mm-hmm. When do you need to do your task level work? And then actually, when do you actually, when are you going to look up and actually be totally present for people? Mm-hmm. So actually have a smaller window, Yeah. but where you're not secretly a bit annoyed that somebody's walked in because you really are halfway through an email that you need to finish. Because I think when you have an open door policy, often you, you don't quite focus on the work you're meant to be doing and you don't quite focus on the person who wants your attention. Yeah. Uh, unless you're very, very disciplined. You know, Richard, I, I'm really liking this. And do you have some slides, diagrams, charts, tables? Because it really seems like I'm seeing two columns and like, you know, side by side to make this contrast come alive. Do you have that? Can you make that? Can we link to that? Yeah. <laughs> Put you on the spot. No, absolutely. So, um, I've actually already got a little thing on influence. Um, Excellent. Uh, which is literally a three-step, very simple process based on this this kind of framework I've been explaining. Very simple process to figure out who right now do you most need to exert your influence with and you know where are you and where do you need to get to? Uh, what is the lever that you really need to focus on to do that? And so I've set it up already. I can, might add in a couple of extra slides based on this conversation. But if you go to my, I'll give you it for the show notes, it's xquadrant, my company, xquadrant.com slash awesome. Oh, um, and that'll be there for you, for anybody there. Well, I appreciate that. And boy, we had some fun getting deep into it. Tell me, Richard, was there anything you wanted to make sure to mention before we shift gears and hear about a couple of your favorite things? I think we've covered a lot. I think perhaps there's one little extra thing, which is almost another topic in itself, but I think it could really help, um, which is that sometimes, you know, we want, we know there is a moment of truth, as I call it, when we need to step up and have influence. It's a meeting, it's a presentation. Mm-hmm. It's one of those you know, key, it's a, perhaps it's a high stakes situation. And sometimes, you know, we can do the, the four C's and we can map it out and everything, but it's like, yeah, but how am I going to show up more powerfully in that moment? Yeah. And what I find is really powerful and it is a 
probably a longer conversation, but it's about deciding who do you want to be mm -hmm. rather than the, the techniques. And so um, I'll give you a personal example. I'm, I'm a big Queen fan, you know, rock band Queen from ever since I was, you know, a teenager. Um, I am. Um, you know, got into the band, I play electric guitar, probably because I got inspired by, by them and everything else. And at one stage, it occurred to me that I really respected Freddie Mercury's ability to be bold and you know, flamboyant and really communicate with the back of a massive stadium mm -hmm. in an epoch where a lot of rock bands were very kind of like trying to be cool and not really moving around and, and, mm -hmm. and so forth. And, and he was just went for it and he totally embodied his message. And so somebody once said to me, Hey, Richard, perhaps you should be like the Freddie Mercury of consulting or whatever they said. Mm -hmm. And I kind of took that away. And actually for me, that's a really powerful kind of alter ego that, that I can use, which is um, when I'm about to go into a, a meeting, a presentation, I kind of think, okay, can I release a bit of my inner Freddie Mercury in this moment mm -hmm. and be and be a bit less in my head? I can get very intellectual and a bit kind of in my head. How can I embody this? Be totally powerfully demonstrating the message that I bring, not being afraid, you know, not like doing a half-baked thing, but like totally all in in this moment. Mm -hmm. And so for me, it's just a really simple shift, but it helps me kind of get into that zone. And so I think sometimes it can be helpful and it's not being inauthentic. It's just another part of my personality, right? If I, I mean, I already, I already had a bit of that slightly, you know, um, extravagant side to me, you know, I'm, I'm, mm -hmm. I don't mind prancing around. I mean, I don't prance around in front of clients, <laughs> but you know what I mean? But, you know, like I don't mind playing air guitar when, you know, in front of, mm -hmm. you know, at a party or whatever, you know, I, I don't mind that kind of stuff. So it's a bit a part of me, but it, mm -hmm. it's a reminder to bring out this part of me that's kind of latent or that I, perhaps I've been trained not to use in certain circumstances. And it has an impact because actually I'm fully living my message in that moment, right? I'm fully delivering what I'm there to say. Oh, yeah. And so I think that my influence goes up in that moment because it's like, wow, this guy is really on, you know, he really believes what he's saying, right? He's there. And I think we all have perhaps those moments where we know that, oh, perhaps we're too hesitant or perhaps we're too bold, right? Perhaps we need to, to be the more the smoother uh, relational individual, right? Rather than the abrupt decision-making machine or whatever it is. But if we just identify that and put a bit of a name to it, Mm -hmm. Again, it kind of creates that context again for that next interaction. Yeah. So perhaps that's just another thing that we didn't talk, which I think could be helpful for people because it, it's a powerful tool. Well, no, I, I totally agree. So who do I need to be or who do I need to be like in this moment? And we've had some guests use some phrases like enclothed cognition, alter egos, psychological Halloweenism that kind of get after this notion is like I am stepping into this role, whether it's someone that you admire or a fiction or, or nonfiction. Yeah. Captain Jean-Luc Picard was someone I want, stepped <laughs> into uh, a number of times in high school and college. I'm excited that there will be a TV series in which he comes back to that role. Well, thank you. That's a great extra point in terms of to show up and embody and deliver that. That could be a much more direct path to getting it done. So now can you share with us a favorite quote, something you find inspiring? Yeah, apart from make it so, right? Oh, yeah, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think one of my favorite quotes is by um, an author called Kerry Oberbrunner. Um, he said, we don't get what we want, we get who we are. Yeah, thank you. And how about a favorite study or experiment or bit of research? Yeah, I like, um, I recently read this um, book by um, 
executive coach Marshall uh, Goldsmith. Right. And he interviewed 80,000 professionals. Uh, I've got the stats here. And That'll take a long time. <laughs> yeah. And over, over his career, he's been going for many decades and to rate their performance. And he said 98.5% place themselves in the top half of their peer group. Mm-hmm. Uh, and 70% believe they're in the top 10 percent that's good so i call it the 70 10 fallacy so the point is it's like i was thinking oh my god that's you know yeah i so do i you know we, we all do <laughs> it's like so just um just using that to really realize okay what is it i need to see in myself for my next yeah. path, path of growth i i work with a ceo and i asked him to rate his team from one to ten just on like how they're you know, how they're doing and then we actually looked at their level of self-awareness basically so the people actually who were scoring the highest in his terms of his evaluation were also the ones who really were felt they had to work on a lot of stuff right you know so so it's actually the ones who felt they had the biggest problems were actually the least problems you know what i mean where the ones he felt they were pretty much sorted were the ones that he was the most concerned about yeah. And so I think I just, I just love that. So I call it the 70 10 deception. You know, so 70% of people think they're in the top 10%. We just need to be aware of that because, you know, that's the world we live in. Yeah, totally. So thank you for that context. And how about a favorite book? I mean, I think probably like, you know, Seven Habit, Habits of Highly Effective People, mm-hmm. right, was a game changer for me. Um, the 21 Irrefutable Laws of Leadership by uh, John Maxwell. Oh, we just had John C. Maxwell. Yeah. yeah. So I, I, that was helpful because it, again, it just made me realize how much of it, how much of our impact starts with us, right? I mean, it has mm-hmm. loads of great phrases. You know, the leader is the lid. You know, leader sets the lid on the whole organization. These kind of things. This is just, this was powerful stuff. And then, um, yeah, so those are probably two. Let's, let's, keep, let's keep it there. All right. And a favorite tool? I, I probably live my life with a mixture of, Evernote and Todoist. Those are probably my mm-hmm. my two kind of structuring apps, I guess, in my day. All right. And a favorite habit? My favorite habit, which I've I've learned recently is um well not learned recently, but I've been doing more and more is <sighs> breathing out. Mm-hmm. Breathing out. I've just done it and it's changed already, right? Breathing out. It just takes you down. And it's also probably good influence tip thinking about it. Yeah. When you just by breathing out, you just slow down that much. And the gravitas comes in a bit more. Mm-hmm. Thank you. And a particular nugget you share, I guess, a saying, if you will, uh, that you have. And maybe it's just I have a saying. <laughs> yeah, there's lots of nuggets. Uh, I like the one which is, um, what kind of person has already achieved this goal? Okay. And then be that person. Yeah. Oh, cool. Thank you. And if folks want to learn more or get in touch, where would you point them? So I guess my website, xquadrant.com. LinkedIn is where I'm happy to connect with people on LinkedIn. That's probably where I publish the most kind of most of my fresh content and videos and things uh, because most of my clients are kind of there, you know, in, in the business world. Um, also find me on Twitter. Do a little bit there. Mm-hmm. And do you have a final challenge or call to action for folks looking to be awesome at their jobs? Yeah, I'd certainly simply say, let's focus on the behaviors. Pick one behavior that you would like to change and don't actually even worry about changing it. But just start to ask yourself every day, did I do my best to do that behavior? And just score it from one to 10. It just raises your awareness. Mm-hmm. And then just keep scoring it at the end of every day. Did you do your best? Because that kind of connects to that emotional component. 
And I think what you'll find is if you actually stick with it and literally write down on a piece of paper those numbers from one to 10 over a period of time, you'll find that you just start doing that behavior naturally. It will just start to emerge because you've got that little feedback loop. Mm-hmm. All right, Richard, this has been a treat. Uh, thank you. And I wish you tons of luck in all the ways you're influencing. Pete, it's been a pleasure. And thanks again for all the great stuff you put out. It's pretty impressive the amount of material you've been able to build up over the years and um, such high quality. So thank you. Richard shared an exceptional communication approach that I intend to use frequently. Do you see what I did there? Do you see what I did there? Richard, I love the way he said, set up that context first and it just gets people so curious. And I've experienced that too. And I think I see that in speeches a lot in terms of if I or another keynote speaker that you know at an event and we say, you know, there's three key ways or three key reasons or three key principles, three rules, kind of whatever. They lay out a number and then pause. You could just see the pens like <laughs> being reached for. They're being clicked. Uh, folks are poised to take notes. Like, oh, three things. But well, what are those three things? Oh, I better write this down. This sounds important. So you can do that with anything, that little bit of context set up. If there's just one thing I hope you take away from this podcast, it's this. Aren't you kind of intrigued to like, oh, what's he going to say? So you get the idea. Think about what are those preambles, those context setters that get folks to lean in and want to pay attention. So thanks to Richard for that. That's a great one. Very flexible. You could use that maybe every day of your communication life. So huge thanks to Richard. Again, the show notes, the transcript, the links to albums we've referenced are at awesomeatyourjob.com slash ep544. If you haven't already, I hope you'll push subscribe to catch our next guest. It is David Marquet. And David, oh, wow, he's, fun fact, Stephen Covey visited his submarine that he was commanding and called it the most empowered or empowering workplace he's seen. So the guy knows a thing or two about good leadership. So I hope to catch you there. Peace. Thanks for listening. To get the most out of the show, we recommend two key things. First, check out the extra resources at awesomeatyourjob.com. You can find this episode's transcript and links, as well as the perfect episode for your situation. You can search the full text transcripts of hundreds of episodes or explore episodes tagged by topic and competency covered. Second, subscribe to the podcast and get future episodes automatically. You can subscribe by telling Siri and several other smartphones and speakers, subscribe to the How to Be Awesome at Your Job podcast or by tapping subscribe in your podcast player of choice. If you'd like some extra help figuring out podcasts and how subscriptions work, visit awesomeatyourjob.com slash subscribe for guidance. Hope to catch you on the next episode of How to Be Awesome at Your Job. Save on Cox Internet when you add Cox Mobile and get fiber-powered internet at home and unbeatable 5G reliability on the go. So whether you're playing a game at home yes, cool. or attending one live, no! you can do more without spending more. Learn how to save at cox.com slash internet. Cox Internet is connected to the premises via coaxial cable. Cox Mobile runs on the network with unbeatable 5G reliability as measured by Ookla LLC in the U.S. to H2023. Results may vary, not an endorsement. Other restrictions apply.